could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is the real Slim Shady, aka Logan Camden. And today happens to be the day after the Super Bowl. So if you guys can guess what we're talking about, I'll give you 30 tie bot. But the payment will not come for several years. We're going to be talking about the Super Bowl. And obviously a really exciting game. Maybe not the highest quality throughout, but an amazing finish. And the LA Rams end up winning it, like somebody on this podcast predicted in the preseason and actually never wavered for that, not for a second, and said it the entire time for every second of the season. But now that we do have the Rams as our Super Bowl champs, Logan, when you look back on the game that we saw last night, sort of what were some of the keys that stand out in your mind? I'm kind of in, this feels like a dream right now. I'm kind of in disbelief that was actually our intro for today. I thought that was a joke intro into the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. He's feeling a little froggy today. Just oh. a little silly. It's Valentine's Day. It's a holiday. Everybody got work off. A little quirky, a little goofy. Yeah. Oh, that's actually, we do need, we need, the day after the Super Bowl has to be a holiday, bro. I should not have been forced to go to class today. Um, Great take. I like how you make that case over Valentine's Day being like an actual holiday. That too, 100%, bro. I just, less school, less work. Yeah. More fun. Due to spin. Um, Why the Rams won? I, I think, I think we first have to start with uh, the matchup that we all highlighted pregame that we thought would be the biggest deal, um, and that was the Bengals O-line versus the Rams D-line. Um, we knew that that was kind of the weakness of this uh, Bengals team through, through all of it. Uh, you know, nine sacks allowed versus the Titans, and Burrow was sacked more than any other quarterback uh, in postseason history. 19, I believe, was the number, and I think the next closest was 14 sacks in a single postseason. I mean, Burrow was under fire in damn near every game, and it really came to fruition, even down to this final play um, when Aaron Donald ends up getting into the backfield and forcing Burrow, uh, you know, forcing in completion late. Like, Burrow was just under fire all game long. And I, I, I have to say, I mean, he dealt with the pressure pretty well, but uh, the Rams just got... The D-line, honestly, man, the pass rush just like it got better and better as the game went along. They got hungrier. They wanted a little more. And I think that is, first and foremost, where the game was won. Um, and then I think you have the home field advantage factor, uh, stuff like that. But then you get into the penalties, and I do think it, it, it's, it's weird because the Logan Wilson holding call with third and eight um, with a minute 47 left, I did not agree with Carson. I don't think a lot of people did. It felt very ticky-tacky. Even Chris Collinsworth live on the broadcast said, man, this feels really ticky-tack, especially for a Super Bowl. But it's kind of like that. It, it's about the, the the balancing of it all. And earlier in the game, you have the Jalen Ramsey play where he's slung by his face mask on the T. Higgins TD. And so it's like, that doesn't get called. That TD shouldn't have happened. So... I'm kind of I have mixed feelings about about the calls in this game because I feel like it kind of balanced itself out, but of course I do not feel good when I mean there were like three penalties in the final minute and fifty seconds of this game and it just you're always going to have that sour kind of taste left in your mouth when the refs have such a heavy influence on the outcome of a game and of the biggest game of the year the Super Bowl. I totally agree and I also agree with your point about not necessarily being super torn up about like the fairness or whatever. Like I think that that 
call by the books is holding. And yeah, you can definitely have a fair conversation about, okay, when it is effectively deciding the Super Bowl, do you call that there? But I think that you're right. And that obviously the Higgins missed call was a massive one. And at the end of the day, what I think is just most important is that it's just kind of a bummer because once that call happens, you kind of feel like the touchdown is inevitable and it just feels like you've been gifted with this golden opportunity and it just saps a little bit of the drama and the fun out of it, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still a game winning touchdown drive. And Mm -hmm. I think you have to give obviously a tremendous amount of credit to the Matt Stafford Cooper Cup connection for coming up big in that respect because yet again dude I mean this wasn't a crazy dynamic performance from the Rams offense you only put up 23 points but this entire year dude it has just been about them moving the ball through the air and not being able to consistently impose themselves on the ground and that didn't change once Cam Akers got back and it didn't change in this game the Rams could not run the ball they were 23 attempts for 43 yards but they were able to obviously get what they needed through the air when they needed it most. And Cup was sensational as he always is and was so timely and clutch with his big plays. And obviously, OBJ in the early stages of the game was unbelievably dynamic, only touched the ball twice, but there's the big time touchdown. Then he had that other big catch. And I just think it's really impressive that the Rams were able to manage a pretty successful game through the air overall you have the two turnovers. One of those was on the third and long into the opposing end zone from Stafford, so not really a significant one. And then the other, not Stafford's fault. I mean, it's off the hands of a receiver. And so I think to manage that when obviously you're down Robert Woods, as you have been for weeks, but that dude's been a consistent, bona fide 1,000-yard receiver and one of the best number twos in football, then you add this incredibly dynamic piece in OBJ and you lose him and don't have Tyler Higby like there's just so many things that went wrong for this passing attack as far as just availability and you're not able to run the ball and yet they were still able to get what they needed and Stafford was able to distribute it to a bunch of different guys and again he came up with the big plays when they needed the most so I think that's a really cool moment for his legacy and it's a testament to what he and Cooper Cup and this passing game overall have just been able to do I mean the guy had 50 total touchdowns this year and Cooper Cup had I mean the most productive receiving season ever the guy had more than 2400 receiving yards this season regular season and playoffs combined we've never seen anything like that so it felt right that it kind of came down to those two key elements of their team deciding it you got Mm -hmm. the clutch drive from the passing game that really had to be relied on all game and then you got the dominant pass rush that and just the dominant performance from the front that you knew was going to be a pillar of this team and really was when they were playing their best throughout the year. Yeah, and not just this game, but all season long. I think you're exactly right. It was appropriate because this has been what the Rams have needed all year long. I heard this stat initially um, on, I believe, The Herd. Matt Stafford in the fourth quarter of games this year, 13 TDs, zero interceptions. Literally uh, was the best fourth quarter late game performer in the NFL this season. And that's that's what I think redeems this all for Stafford because this was not a great Matt Stafford game by any means. Um, and also, so now uh, at this point, I believe he's what? Uh, he didn't have two fourth quarter TDs, so he's 14 TDs to zero picks in the fourth quarter of games for the entirety of the year. That's insane. As you also noted, 50 TDs. Stellar season from Stafford. But again, I think it just kind of, it's poetic. It's It kind of speaks to Stafford's career. It also speaks to 
him as a quarterback. This was not a great Stafford performance. He missed on, even on this final drive, some plays. He missed on some balls. He missed on some throws, overthrowing guys. But when you needed a big play, um, the video that Theo made uh, that got on SportsCenter, uh, what an amazing play. Like, that is so hard to do. To get Von Bell, um, that play where Stafford throws the no-look pass to Cooper Cup 20 yards over the middle of the field, that's when, to me, it felt like the momentum swung, and it was like, "Uh uh-oh, here come the Rams. They're going to do their thing. He gets Von Bell to come down on that curl route to, uh, who was it? Do you know who the other receiver was? I think it was Van, Van Jefferson. Jefferson, I think. Yeah, I think it was Van. He gets Von Bell to slide off, throws it right where Von was. And like you said, man, when they needed the big plays to come through, Matt Stafford was there. And so I, I agree. Like, I, I think, and again, I agree with you in the sense that I'm also not going to hold that first interception against him. To me, third and 14, it was almost like a, a deep punt. Mm-hmm. Um Stafford, again, this was not a stellar perfect performance, but when they needed him to make plays, again, you have 6 of 15 on third downs. Um, Again, Stafford missed on a lot of balls during this game, but in clutch time, in crunch time, which has been his bread and butter, he got the job freaking done. And so you just did did enough. And so, yeah, I'm not going to hold anything against Stafford, but, yeah, I think it's kind of – I think it speaks to what he did in Detroit. I think it speaks to what he's been doing all season long. Yeah, he throws a lot of interceptions, but when the chips are down, Matthew Stafford was the clutchest quarterback in football this season down to the last game of the year. It's a really impressive season. I mean, overall, it's just not only by far the most meaningful because of obviously the fact that he won the Super Bowl and hadn't won a playoff game previously. It's the most productive. 2011, sure, the regular season probably has a slight edge, but... This year, including the playoffs, he throws for 50 touchdowns, almost 6,100 yards, completes almost 68% of his passes. And yeah, you have the 20 picks, and there were accuracy issues at times, and, the, and there were decision-making issues at times. But at the end of the day, the guy played like a top-10 quarterback. He came through in the clutch, and he got done what needed to be done. So I think this is fascinating for his legacy. I know there's been a lot of Hall of Fame talk thrown around. I think maybe we get to that later if we want to discuss some more keys to what actually happened on the field in this one first. I do think that's an interesting debate. But, I mean, what else did stand out to you as far as actually determining the outcome of this game? What other key performances and whatnot? I mean, I would definitely say um, on the outside, third downs, again, this Rams defense was impeccable. And uh, I just thought... Burrow and them have just have to do a better job of staying on the field. You know what I mean? Um, this is two things on this. It is the keys that we thought, and I could have said this earlier for overarching keys, is why we're running it back, but the two things that me and you said all playoffs long that we're going to come back and bite the Bengals, uh, that we're going to limit them, and the reason that we didn't have faith that they were going to win the Super Bowl kind of came to fruition. Um, one, not being able to finish and sustain drives. Again, we talked about all playoffs long about it. This was not a great third down team. This was not a great team at finishing drives. Uh, you settle for, did they settle for two? Uh, you settle for two McPherson field goals, which again, in the moment I said, this is going to come back to bite them on the ass. This yeah. is what's going to keep them from winning this game. They scored, what, seven TDs all postseason long? That is so underwhelming. Matt Stafford had more on his own. Like, uh, so those two things were massive factors. And then the fact that uh, Theo said this during the game, and uh, as did we on the couch, deep shots were the only reliable thing for this Bengals offense. It's the only reason they've been able to move the football. And you can get by. Honestly, kind of staggering, Carson, if we want to have an overarching car- conversation about that. For a team that has such a mediocre run game, that has 
little to no short passing game, it is astounding that they were able to get this far just yeah. off F it, Jamar T is down there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So many of these scoring drives just came off of one big shot play that opened it up. And again, when it came down to it, when they got in the red zone, when you had these third down conversions that you needed, they just didn't get them. And again, we predicted this pregame, but it, it fully came to fruition. The Burrow had to be better on third down, a couple bad decisions, uh, a couple of inaccuracies, and then just not consistent enough, man. So I think those, the Bengals offense just being kind of one-dimensional and doing the things they've been doing all postseason long. Mm -hmm. Again, this was not a dominant Rams victory, but all of the signs were there this entire run that these were going to be the limiting factors to the Bengals not being able to win this big game. Yeah, and uh, I mean, they even did a couple things well that you think would normally lead to potentially a victory I mean you do get the two interceptions and Mm -hmm. that was kind of potentially a key element there even if you know the first one really didn't do much for you field position wise and they ran the ball with solid efficiency in this game but yeah I mean at the end of the day it was just such a mountain for Burrow to climb I mean when you are just getting hounded with the kind of pressure Mm -hmm. they were and their offense is just generally pretty one-dimensional and pretty dependent on that one key aspect it's really tough I mean this was never the more talented football team and I think that's why we both felt like yeah coming into this game the Rams are a significant favorite and it ends up being close but it's close when you have a couple turnovers and you can't run the ball and like all these things where you don't look at this and think boy what a game the Rams played you look at it and you think they got pressure when they needed to and they started strong and then they got the one drive that they needed to kind of sneak by. But it's not like this was anything close to the best version of this Rams teams that we saw in these playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, give massive credit to this defense and what they were able to do. Again, four straight drives where I do think Zach Taylor played this a little bit conservatively. And I, and I can't blame him because um, Burrow obviously has the scary knee injury. And so for like two drives, Zach Taylor kind of just said, we're going to lean on the run game a little bit. And so I, I think that played into it. But the Rams' defense stepped up big time when they needed him. Again, three straight drives here in the third and fourth quarter where they have a net total of zero yards. Mm-hmm. Like the Rams' defense just suffocates them at the line of scrimmage. They get pressure up front. They stuff Mixon at the line. They force incompletions, and they get them off the field quick. And again, Stafford just made plays when they needed to. They just put themselves in a precarious position. You have got to get points on one of those drives. And the Rams' defense was just better. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing, man. Again, this was not a... The Rams on their best day? Are you kidding me? I think they put up 35 to 40 on this mm-hmm. team. This was a, a very mediocre performance by their metrics. And I have to say, if we're giving out um, credit, uh, there's a couple other aspects of this I want to touch on, Carson. One, the injuries... Uh, I think that—I want to hear your opinion on this. I do think that we need to change the turf uh, at L.A. This was a big concern heading into the game. You have the OBJ non-contact injury. Um, who else? I mean, you had Stafford—not Stafford, excuse me. You have Burrow go down. That was, you know, contact uh, forced. But it just felt like a lot of—just uh, just a lot of injuries out of the blue, man. And I, I did not like—it seemed like a lot of players had issues with the turf here in L.A. Um, and I think it did lead to to a few extra injuries on the field. Um, and then 
off that, I want to hear your gauge here too. I thought Cooper Cup, Cup was the best offensive player for the Rams today. When they needed plays, like, I mean, Stafford is throwing the ball to him five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he's out here getting first downs. Cooper Cup was their best offensive player. Um, I still didn't feel at the end of the day that he should have gotten MVP. My MVP would have been Aaron Donald. And I just thought, as the game went along, he just imposed his will on the game, man. He had a couple times here late in this game where his pressure directly leads to somebody else getting a sack. He has two sacks on the game because when you look at it, his counting numbers aren't that crazy. He has four total tackles, two tackles for loss, both sacks. But he literally ends the game with three straight plays. Gets pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuffs the run. Gets pressure, stuffs a run. Gets pressure, forces in completion. My guy would have been Aaron Donald. I thought just throughout this game, I thought Aaron Donald was the most impactful player on the field. And then Super Bowl least valuable player, I would have given it to Jalen Ramsey because, man, that dude was getting cooked all night long. Um, Are you in agreement with me? Do you think... It's tough. I just Mm -hmm. think that... I think when you're comparing this to other Super Bowl MVPs, I think Cooper Cup's maybe one of the least impressive ever. Really? Yeah, I do. I don't think that I can agree with that. I mean, listen, I think that there's a legitimately strong case for either player. I just don't want to understate how significant what Cup did. Like, yeah... This was a collective effort overall from the Rams passing game, sure. But whenever they needed something big, they went to Cooper Cup. I mean, you mentioned you know him getting the ball mm-hmm. in the backfield. Fourth and one, you know they give it to him on an end around, and he go- comes through and converts in that spot. And once they got inside the five, it was everything is going to Cooper Cup. He's the one who draws the holding penalty. Then they have their touchdown on the next play canceled out because of a penalty, but who did it go to? It went to Cup, and he caught that ball. And then you have, obviously, them going him again on the next play, and he draws a penalty. And then you have the fade, and he goes and gets that 50-50 ball. It's just like, that's a pretty insane dependence on one player offensively. And even if you don't see it with the pure yardage, the eight catches were timely. The fourth down conversion with his legs was super important. Drawing those penalties effectively decided the game. And the guy goes out there and gets two touchdowns. And there's really no touchdown that is more just about, hey, I trust my receiver to go out there and win than a goal line fade in a situation like that. So I'm not going to sit here and say anything anti-Cooper Cup. I mean, I honestly don't think that we've done enough this year to uh, appreciate how absolutely insane this guy has been at football. Like, yes, I understand that he is partly a product of a really good offense and a dynamic passing attack overall. And yeah, he moves around a lot and he lines up in the slot. And so he gets matched up with linebackers and safeties and all these things. And, you know, maybe isn't the insane dynamic explosive athlete that some great receivers are. But at the end of the day, dude, 2,400 yards of production, 22 touchdowns, 178 catches that production is historic it is literally something that we have never seen before and the guy went out and he won and he won from all over the field and he's one of the best blocking receivers in football and he's strong and he just gets open on every level of the field and it's like if we can't appreciate the cooper cup is just unbelievable and is a hall of fame receiver i mean listen obviously it's early you'd have to sustain that some but he just had 
a top three receiving season of all time. So yeah, maybe I would take Tyree Kill before him if I'm starting my franchise. But like, let's just give the guy credit because he was unbelievable every single time, dude. I mean, all year, if I'm not mistaken, he had two games with less than 90 yards. It's like impossibly consistent, great production from all over the field. And I really have no problem with him getting it. I mean... No, I, yeah, I don't have a problem. Like I said, if you had to go, go with someone from the offense, I definitely would have gone with Cup. I, like you said, t- timely. Timeliness is the word. It was big third downs, big fourth downs. He came to make plays. And I do want to give him credit. Um, this is the second greatest receiving postseason of all time. The second most receiving yards in a single postseason uh, to Larry Fitzgerald's 2008 campaign. He had 478 yards. Um, just like 60 behind Fitzgerald, and then the second most receiving touchdowns in a single postseason. So, I mean, if we are going, it's not a cumulative award, obviously. Uh, This guy was by far the best offensive player all season long for the Rams, and uh, in this postseason. Also, Jamar Chase, also top 10 in this list as well. I mean, insane. Yeah. And and at the end of the day in this game, there was no other high-level receiving threat on the field for the Rams. They had one dude, and they went to him over and over again. And he got it done. So I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, Aaron Donald obviously was unbelievable. He was also part of just a collective unbelievable effort. I mean, you have the sack from Leonard Floyd. You have a pair of sacks from Von Miller. Ernest Jones played a really good game. Like, that front seven was just balling out. And obviously, Aaron Donald is a different level. He's by far the best player out of that group. But they both had their moment. I mean, at the end of the day, you could make a strong case for both of them. They played great all-around games. Coop had the... Go ahead, touchdown. I meant to say Cup, but his first name's Cooper, so I called him Coop. And Donald had the actual game ceiling play. I would rather just appreciate both of them. They're unbelievable football players. And I mean, the stars obviously came in big for the Rams, as was the expectation. Yeah, actually, I, I just like I just like showing some love to the trench dogs, man. You know, I, I just think it's it's an it's such a tough job. It's such a It's just such a tough gig. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I do want to restate that take. Cup is not the least impressive. I think looking in Super Bowl MVP history, I would probably say Bolitnikoff's is the least impressive four catches for 79 yards. And then my... my, Actually, my least impressive would be Joe Namath, 206 passing yards when he was Mm -hmm. nowhere near the most deserving. So... I'm going to be honest, dude. I don't feel like Cup is close at all. I feel like there's a lot of dudes who it's been more about, like, making one play. Like, the defensive players, a lot of those guys, it's like... What, even... Who? who Like, Larry Brown? Or, or who, are you, like, who are you going with? Well, he had the two picks. But Malcolm Smith, I mean, that's based off of, like, one takeaway mostly, right? He had a pick six and a fumble recovery. Yeah, a fumble recovery? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like... Cooper Cup played a consistently great yeah, game. He made five plays in the last two minutes, if you're counting yeah. drawn penalties, or the last, however, that final drive that won them the game. And like you said, I mean, he did it without Odell. Like, dude, yeah. And that that was the big that was the big thing that scared me about the Rams uh, late, and that's what makes it so much more impressive. Is after losing OBJ, bro. I mean, how many times is Stafford going to go to this scrowneck guy, bro? Like that guy. I don't, I don't think that guy caught a ball. Um. It was tough. Nobody else was getting open. You're already down Tyler Higby as well. Like, the Rams were really on their last legs. I'm sorry. I redact that. I think this is my I think this is my bias showing on camera, hey, It's okay, man. <laughs> no, Cup Cup deserves it. I just I just like letting the letting the buffet boys on the line get some love. You know what I'm saying? The guys the guys putting in work all game long. 
Um, would you have objected to co-MVPs? Because I actually wouldn't have. I, I wanted that. I yeah. I wanted it. I would have been cool with that too. All right. Well, honestly, I kind of feel like we can move into some legacy talk here just because I feel like there are so many signature players and mm-hmm. a coach of this era who now have gotten the hardware that like is just so meaningful to how you're perceived, even if you can only impact it so much as one individual guy. Who do you want to start with? In that category. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll start with Stafford. Um, but I think we'll, we'll run through the teams. I think there are five to ten guys who have given themselves a genuine shot at a gold jacket. We can start with locks. Stafford is a Hall of Fame lock. Really? Yes. And honestly, I may have made a case that Stafford was a Hall of Famer without this ring. That's tough because I think that Stafford has a very Philip Rivers-esque Hall of Fame case. I think Rivers is going to get in. I think it's going to be a couple years. I don't think he's first ballot. I think it's going to take him a minute. I think Stafford is 100% locked up. Because, I mean, think about it. If Stafford hadn't won this game, I don't think he gets in. I think he has a shot. Man, a one-time Pro Bowler. That's actually nuts. I I think he is wiped away... um, I think he's wiped away anything. I mean, dude, 323 TDs, 160 picks, nearly 50,000 passing yards. Like, I just think he's been so damn consistent. And now that he's got a ring on his finger, I, I don't know how you can leave him out. This Matt Stafford is not first ballot, but I think now that he's got a ring on his finger was the... He was the guy. I mean, I, I think... Tough. The one Pro Bowl nod is tough, dude, but the NFC has been cutthroat in that respect. I think he's a lock. I think the counting numbers are a little too high, and now that he's got a ring on his finger, like I said, I don't think this guy's first ballot. I think you give him four to five years on it, I think Stafford gets in. Because, again, a lot of this is about signature moments. And mm-hmm. let me ask you this like a guy like, I'm not bashing him because I think Tony Baselli deserved to get in. Tony Baselli played six really solid years. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we're going to let a guy like Tony Baselli in, I think you have to let a guy like Matt Stafford in, man. I mean, Stafford has been... He's been so damn consistent for a decade. Now he's got the ring on his finger. I think I would put my chips in and say that Stafford is a lock for the Hall of Fame eventually. What if he played a position other than quarterback? What do you... And, and he had been similarly... Uh, uh, he had been similarly... Um, right. If he had the same resume... You know, really productive, consistent, bat like way back half of the top ten guy at his position, like somewhere in that eight through ten range, and has one great postseason. Doesn't win a Super Bowl MVP, but is clearly very good and has a clutch moment. Is that guy still a Hall of Fame player? I'm looking. I, the first guy that I thought of when you asked me that, Carson, was Clinton Portis. I uh, like you know a, a relative guy who was good for a decade, a mm-hmm. two-time Pro Bowler has. Nearly 10,000 career rushing yards. No. No, if Matt Stafford, mm-hmm. it's, I, it, it, it is a little bit of the QB, it is a little bit of the QB bias. But yeah, as you're pulling up here, the counting numbers are nuts for Stafford, dude. And at the end of it, if Stafford plays another five years, yeah, I mean, bro, he could be top five in, I don't know about TDs, he could definitely be top five in yards, though. Yeah. And so I think the counting numbers are going to be the, the totals plus the ringer being what gets him in but uh, no I honestly hold up let me ask you, let me ask you this do you think he's comparable to a what about a guy like Bettis I think that's honestly an interesting kind of a similar 
Nah, Bettis is a six-time Pro Yeah, player. I think he was a much better yeah. overall player. I mean, I think Matt Stafford probably will be a Hall of Famer. Because mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, he's 12th in yards and touchdowns right now. And you got to think he's got a few more quality seasons. I just do wonder, though, like, it's historically been so exclusive. I mean, yeah. There are 14 receivers who started their career after the merger who are in the Hall of Fame right now. Like, it's just so tough, but the quarterback position is a little bit of a different ballgame. And you can look at a lot of guys who weren't as productive even in the context of their era, because obviously Stafford's numbers are insane, but it's a product of, in large part, people throwing the football more than ever before. But a lot of quarterbacks who were just attached to great teams and teams that were probably more dynastic than these Rams, but those guys end up getting in. And I do think Stafford probably has the blend now of the individual production and that one Super Bowl to get him. But like one time pro bowler is crazy. And I mean, listen, not that we should put much stock in the pro bowl at all, but it's almost pretty remarkable to me that he wasn't like an alternate more than that or, I can't remember the specifics of the Pro Bowls or like if he just opted out a number of these times, but no, that's so pretty wild. Even if you no, even if you opt out, you still get the nod. Like there's been cases where right, but what if you are an alternate, like a top alternate, and then you don't you accept don't that? It. Okay, that that's what I meant. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. I think he is going to be a Hall of Famer, but not one of the more compelling ones, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, the next group that I think is the most interesting, we'll go with another lock here and knock it out because I don't think there's a whole lot of stuff that we can add to it. Uh, Andrew Whitworth is a 100% Hall of Famer now. I think that he had a really strong case heading into this game. I mean, Whitworth has been one of the best tackles in the NFL point-blank period since he came into the league in 2006. Um, He was an anchor for those Andy Dalton playoff teams in the uh, mid-2010s. I mean, he held it down, dude. He was a reason that they had such a dynamic rushing attack no matter who was in the backfield. Um, and he protected Dalton's blindside, four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. This is going to be what swings it over. I-, I don't know if he's first ballot. I don't know if Whitworth gets in if he doesn't get this Super Bowl ring, though. And now, yeah. it, even at age, uh, how old is he, 40 now? 40. Even at age 40, and <laughs> there were a couple plays in this game, man. Trey Hendrickson put that work in on Whitworth. It doesn't matter, though, now. He's got his ring, and I think Whitworth has 100% locked himself up as, as a Hall of Famer. And I think that one of the key aspects to both his resume and honestly Stafford's is just the longevity and the consistency. I mean, Andrew Whitworth is a 16-year NFL starter and a very good 16-year NFL starter. So even if he doesn't have the insane accolades that you would maybe expect from a Hall of Fame tackle, because, you know, like you said, four-time Pro Bowl or two-time All-Pro, very good, but the NFL Hall of Fame is quite stingy. It took Isaac Bruce yes. forever to get in and dude his fifth all-time in receiving yards. Randy Moss and Terrell Owens can't get in their first go-around. Like, it, it, it's ridiculous, some of this stuff. It's crazy to me, though, that a dude winning a Super Bowl at 40 when he's playing tackle is, like career defining you know again he's one of so many parts but you very well may be right but again the consistency and the longevity and that is a thing that really does matter for Stafford because especially historically dude I mean so many quarterbacks go out and they play for basically a decade and Stafford is 33 just had his best year ever and has been among the most durable players in football and a 12-year starter 
So I think that you see that with the counting stats and that works to both of their advantages. It's interesting to me that you consider them both locks. I don't know if I have that kind of confidence in predicting the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's, I think they're both probable Hall of Famers. It's really erratic. I guess I can't really say that anything is a lock. Like you said, dude, I, th- those are three of the biggest just head scratchers in Hall of Fame history. How Terrell Owens and Randy Moss, and I, I think I, I think they're biased, you know, divas off the field. That's yeah. ultimately what held it against them. Who cares, bruh? And Isaac Bruce, I don't get. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't say lock just because of the erratic decision-making. If these guys don't get in, though, I mean, who the hell should? I, I think I would predict both these guys to get in. Um, it's interesting, though. You bring up the wideout conversation, Carson. I don't think Odell is a Hall of Famer yet. And Odell, dude, honestly, is going to have to put in a lot of work, I think, to make his case. Because you talk about the stigmas with Moss, with... T.O., I think, sadly, Odell's going to have to wear a lot of that, too. And it's not—I don't think it's right, because I don't think—I think the media has unfairly painted that picture of Odell. But again, as a wideout, man, you have got to have a crazy resume to get in. Mm -hmm. And one Super Bowl ring is not necessarily going to swing the tide. He's a three-time Pro Bowler, and he's a one-time Super Bowl champ. And he's got these great moments. We're always going to remember this TD. We're always going to remember the one-handed grab. And I think those definitely help bolster his case. Odell, I think, is going to have to double his totals right now. I think he's going to have to get close to 100 career TDs. I think he's going to have to get over 10,000 yards, close to 15 uh, to 15,000. Like, I I really thought that I was going to come away from this going, yeah, man, I think Odell's a lock. Odell has got a lot, a really far piece to go if he wants to, to make the haul. I totally agree. And there's a lack of postseason production that obviously he's not accountable for. I mean, again, he can't transform a team. He's one wide out. But nevertheless, that is something that has been mostly missing in his resume. But he did a lot to remedy that. I mean, he had a fantastic postseason. In less than three and a half games of football, he had 288 yards and two touchdowns and was breaking this game wide open, dude. I mean, was very clearly one of the most impactful players on the field. And I'm just very hopeful that he's able to recover from his injury and be himself again because after four years of disappointment, a blend of injury and just not the kind of production that you expected from him and not getting into the end zone a lot, to have him come out and have moments like this in the playoffs and just how he played down the stretch for the Rams overall it's really pretty amazing, and I think it has really reminded us of what OBJ can be, and not to say that he's as good as he was at his Giants peak, because I think obviously, I mean, again, it's one of the best starts we've ever seen to a football career period in my life, his first three seasons with the Giants, but the dude is a damn good football player, and if he can stick around for another five plus years and hover around a thousand yards a year and get another Pro Bowl appearance or two, I don't know. I mean, again, what we need to remember is it's like a few guys a decade. I mean, it's it's a handful or less a decade at the receiver position. And when you look back on this era, it's like, is OBJ a top five guy? I don't know. He's top five most memorable, and he has a Super Bowl ring now. But I don't know that the resume is there. Not right now. It's yeah. No, I mean he's got to. He's gonna have to be what a top ten receiver in football the next five to ten years to 
to actually make a run at this. And that's not hyperbolic. That's that's the bare minimum. Again, dude, Isaac Bruce was one of the best wideouts in football. The precedent is nuts. The standard is crazy for wide receivers, man. He did get in, though. He did, yeah. So I don't think anybody's saying OBJ is going to get in the first time. I think there's going to be a debate for a long time. Yeah. Um, as for the other wide out here, I mean, Cup definitely has a long way to go. I think his case is honestly, call me crazy, I think his case is better than OBJ's right now, even though, again, uh, counting numbers are going to favor Odell. He's got the Offensive Player of the Year. That is a massive swing in his direction. He's got a Super Bowl MVP. He's got a ring. He's got an all-pro nod and a Pro Bowl nod. And he's younger. So, I mean, I think Cup definitely has the strongest case out of anybody outside of Stafford on the offense to get in. Um, or Stafford and Whitworth, if you want to make that case. And, again, he's so much younger. Again, Cup, like OBJ, is going to have to be one of the best at his peak. But I feel like it's got to be way less for him because he's got the MVP, right? Like, like he's got... What he has left to do? Yes, to, 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 to get to that threshold. I think it's probably less, but I would say it's more just I feel like he's so likely to do what he needs to do. You know, I mean, he's not that young because he came into the league so late, but Cooper Cup, what is going to stop him from being a top five most productive receiver in football for the next few years? I mean... As long as he has Stafford throwing him the ball and McVay scheming up plays, mm-hmm. like what's going to keep him from getting 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns every time out? I mean, obviously, that's a far step back from what he did this year, but I don't know if you can expect him to do this every season. That just feels very likely to me. Odell, it's more of, you know, even though he clearly looked better with the Rams and we saw him get into the end zone more, his playoff production was a step up from what he did in the regular season, and that's only over a few games, and it's like, I think he's going to be a really good number two slash number three going forward. But again, I mean, he has to overcome injury now. Cup, it's just like, it's automatic. That's how it feels mm-hmm. to me, that he's going to do what needs to be done. And it's just insane, dude. I mean, sports are so cool. Like, sports are so cool, bro. You have a dude who goes to Eastern Washington and then is... Super Bowl MVP and is one of the most productive seasons ever. How is that even possible? It's like almost incomprehensible, the kind of stories that come out of sports. Yeah, you go from golf, you go to Stafford. I mean, again, Cup is a guy who wasn't even expected to play college football. Dude, what I always think about, when there are walk-ons who end up doing insanely meaningful things, you get a Baker Mayfield or whatever. I mean, a lot of those guys are preferred walk-ons, so it's like they know that they have a spot on the team, but I always just think, like, what if one of those guys just gave up? I feel like a lot of normal people, I mean, obviously you have love for the game, but maybe you just give up. Like, no team has made you enough of a priority to offer you a scholarship, you know, or no team that you want to go to at least. And if you can fight through that and become genuinely great, it's just insane to think about, like, what if there was somebody else who could have had that ability and just said no? What if there was a Cooper Cup who said, no, I don't want to play D3 football or their FCS, yeah. whatever, non-FBS football? It's crazy. I mean, you got to have a different kind of drive. And, I mean, Cup is the embodiment of that. And you also talk about just uh, – I hate using the stereotypical stuff. When you talk – when you see him talk in the pressers, man, this is, again, this is another reason why I don't think we should expect a, a big drop-off – from a couple of these next couple of years, he's just smart. McVeigh, well, whether through McVeigh, whether through 
his trials and tribulations to get to this point. Cup is one of the single smartest guys in reading coverages on the field, in on-the-fly decision-making. Like, the guy's... Not only does he have fantastic footwork, route running, the other intangibles, great hands, he's a really smart guy too, man, and he knows how to read coverages. And that's why it's just another reason why I don't think we should expect him to fall off. But yeah, his journey has been insane. It's one of the craziest. Next to... I mean, think about it. This is what? This is the craziest Super Bowl MVP story since, well, Kurt Warner bagging groceries at the... At the, at the That's so crazy. Bagging groceries to the two-time league MVP and a Super Bowl MVP. Thank God that they made that awesome movie about Kurt that I, I'm sure critics are raving about, and I think we're all going to flock to the theaters to see. Maybe out already. I'm really not sure. Yeah, I mean, here's a guy who really puts his hard hat on. He's a smart football player, Al. Cooper Cup, here's a guy who really loves football, and he's sneaky athletic. He's a bring-your-lunch-pail-to-work-hard-hat kind of guy. Cooper Cup can really play football, Al. That was a great Collinsworth. Thank you, man. Dude, I, um, the next guy, I think, there's, I think there's four more guys who have – Hall of Fame cases, three on the defense, and then obviously McVay. Um, Von Miller is a no-brainer. That man is, I think he's first ballot. First ballot, I agree. Um, Eight-time Pro Bowler, over 100 career sacks, three-time All-Pro, now a two-time Super Bowl champ. He's got an MVP, and he's got a Defensive Player of the Year. Like, I don't even think we need to spend all that much on Von. Like, he Von actually is, does not have a Defensive Player of the Year, Logan. You just got quizzed on this on Trivia oh, Time two weeks ago. He's got a Rookie of the Year. I can't read. He's a two-time Depoy runner-up, though. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a monster. And, I mean, Von has... If you're thinking about guys from this era, I mean, I think Von has to be... I don't know what era, if we're just, you know, where we start this off at, but Von is top three or yeah. top five. I mean, the other guys that I would include, Khalil Mack... T.J. Watt, you know, a, a Miles Garrett, you know, and that's off talent because, you know, Vaughn and Khalil have been doing it for so much longer. Yeah, I would kind of view it as the top defensive players of the 2010s just because I feel like yeah. that lines up nicely for him. He comes in in 2011, and obviously, I mean, he's still really good, but that's his peak. And I think out of that era, behind, obviously, J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, I mean, was there a better defensive player? A healthy Luke Keekley, but... He only has the six seasons. I guess Aaron Donald only has six seasons in the 2010s, technically. But, I mean, he look, Von Miller's on the all-decade team. He's the top three pass rusher of that period and a key member of two Super Bowl-winning yep. teams. So uh, that guy has got to be first ballot, in my opinion. Yeah, Aaron Donald is also first ballot, too. It doesn't matter. I mean, he, are, he has a – we could have a – is he the best defensive player of all time argument? Um I'm not ready to say that just because I know the legacy of Lawrence Taylor and I know what a beast he was. Um, but he definitely, you could make an argument. Eight-time Pro Bowler, seven-time All-Pro. I mean, what does he have? Four depoys? That's just nuts, dude. I, three, excuse me. But that's that's insane, bro. We're, I really, I really hope that Aaron Donald has not played his last game. I don't think he has. I think that, I don't know. I, I can't ever say it because... I, I just can't get into the head of these guys, but I think Donald loves this game a little too much, man. Like, I think his heart beats for football, and it's just, you can tell. the His face pregame, how angry he looked after that fight, how fired up he got, how happy he was after mm. the game. Like, I think this man eats, sleeps, and breathes football, and I just can't imagine him walking away from it. Especially, again, 
when he's the first or second best defensive player in football still. Yeah. Les Snead literally said that he's not buying the rumors. So I don't think that that's going to happen. I will say, though, it is sick to go out on top, man. I mean, only eight seasons is not very long, but to go out and have your last play be the Super Bowl winning moment, so cool, dude. It's like MJ retiring on the most iconic play in basketball history. Well, and again, the thing about the thing that the only thing that brings merit to the Donald rumors is that is such a tough job. It's the toughest job in football. It's football, bro, period. But yeah, yeah. being in the trenches every single play takes such a toll on your body. Like these guys. It always has to be in the back of your mind, man. Like, you have to work so damn hard to stay in that kind of condition to every snap to play that hard. It takes mm-hmm. such a toll. Like, uh, I think about, I don't know, man. I think about guys who play tackle like Jordan Gross or Joe Thomas. You know, these guys that walk away and slim down and move on. It's just, it's, a, it's such a physically taxing sport and such a physically taxing job. And honestly, I don't know, man. Like you said, dude, at the peak of your powers... Maybe that 100 sack total is going to eat at him, but I, I think I think Aaron Donald is a no-brainer lock. Whenever he does walk away five years later, he will be the first guy in the Hall of Fame, and there's no doubt in my mind. He has seven straight years being top five in depoy voting. Like I don't know if anybody's ever done that. Obviously, LT came in and was all pro every season for his first eight years, I believe, which is pretty insane, but he was not top five in depoy voting every year. TJ has been top three in depoy voting for three years now. We'll see if he can keep that streak alive. I still think TJ is the best defensive player in football. Uh, I don't know how we're onto this conversation, but okay. I have to bring my boy up in any conversation. We need to put some spec on his name. Um, Aaron Donald, uh, unequivocally, the I think he's the best defensive player of this era. Yeah, 100%. And then... I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to look at this game as a bit of a as a bit of a a bit of a stain on Jalen Ramsey's legacy. Not the T. Higgins part, but Ramsey got sauced. Ramsey got cooked. Like they were they were picking on Jalen Ramsey, man, all game long. If it was uh, an out route, ten yards. If they were going down the sideline, like Joe Burrow and the boys were were, were going at him. And I think Ramsey has one of the most interesting cases. He's a five-time Pro Bowler. He's a three-time All-Pro. Now he has the ring on his finger. 15 career interceptions. Do you think Do you think Ramsey's the best corner of this era? Like, I mean, I think the other guys that you would have to consider, uh, Richard Sherman for his peak. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, where, where do you lie on Jalen Ramsey's Hall of Fame case right now? For me, I don't think he pro- – I don't – he's on the fence for me, dude. What? Jalen Ramsey's going to be a Hall of Famer, dude. No brainer, in my opinion. Right now? as it, If he retired today? He's played six seasons and is a five-time Pro Bowler and three-time first-team All-Pro. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. If you're talking about who's the best guy of the era, again, it's like he's not really in Richard Sherman's era in my mm-hmm. eyes. You know? Just I feel like a lot of the corners who we've seen haven't had the longest peaks. Like I would put Richard Sherman and honestly probably Darrell Revis in like the era before this one. But I think that he is the top corner of this recent era that we've seen. I mean, the last half decade, I guess the other guy would be Stefan Gilmore. Yeah. And I think he's been more consistently excellent than Gilmore. I mean, Gilmore has obviously the insane peak of the deep season, but like, before that, he was a very good corner in Buffalo who couldn't play zone. 
And then his peak in New England was pretty short-lived. Like, I'm taking Jalen Ramsey over Gilmore. So he's a lock for you. 100%. Okay. I mean, I just think as far as your by position value goes, he is clearly the third most exceptional player over his career up to this point behind only Aaron Donald and Von Miller. I don't think it's close. Okay. That's, I mean, I think I would relatively agree. I, I think, I don't know. Again, I think he needs a, I, like, I, I do think he needs, I think he needs three to four more years at, at the peak of his powers to be a lock for me. I just, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know if he retired today, if he would, if he'd be a lock. Well, he's not going to retire today yeah. though. But I mean, isn't that insane? One-time Pro Bowler, Matt Stafford, you feel is a lock, but five-time Pro Bowl, three-time All-Pro in six years, Jalen Ramsey isn't? It's the QB, it's the QB it's man. QB factor, man. Um, and then the last guy that I think we have to genuinely consider, unless you have anybody else, is probably Sean McVay. Yeah. And I don't think that, again, for coaches, man, there are so many factors that come into to getting that nod, especially like you see Dick Vermeil just getting in. Like, I thought... Yeah, what was up with that? I thought Dick Vermeil had been in for a while. Um, I mean, McVay has been one of the most consistently dominant coaches. He's got a 7-3 and playoff record now. Um, always had an over 500 record since he took over the Rams. He's been to two Super Bowl now, uh, two Super Bowls now. Now he has the ring. Um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say he's a lock just because you don't really know what goes down. But I think Sean McVay is as close of a lock as it gets. And I, what I mean by that is, again, not right now. McVay is the best offensive coach in football, right? Like maybe you could make an argument for Kyle Shanahan, like. I think McVay's the best offensive head coach in football. May, again, maybe you can make a case for Andy Reid. Um, to me, with the direction that the NFL is trending, with the superstar talent he has on this roster, with the man, the charisma in the a way he leads a locker room. That might be my favorite thing about McVay, man. You watch clips on him on the sideline, and it's hey, man, good job. Yeah, he's always hyping guys up. There's never any, there's never any bad vibes. He is just trying to. He's just trying to get the best out of guys. And you can tell they love him. They rally behind him. They love playing for him. I think McVay is an excellent head coach. He's only 36 years old. I don't think this is his last Super Bowl ring. I think this guy is a genius. And I think I would put money, I would put money down today that he is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Oh, no question. And I don't know if he's getting in off of five years, right? But, like, obviously, he's not stopping. There was the talk about him possibly retiring to, yeah, okay, that's not going to happen. I mean, look, he's very clearly one of the most brilliant football coaches of our lifetime. And really, based on what he's done up to this point of all time, I mean, he has a near flawless resume, in my opinion. Like, 68% winning up to this point. That's top 10 all time. They have been a very good team every year. And for the first four seasons, he did that with Jared Goff at the helm. Like, you said it, dude. He's one of the great offensive coaches that we've seen. We've seen him now scheme up a an all-time offense that was based off of an incredibly dominant run game and a really distinct running back talent. And now, this year, a great offense based off of, overwhelmingly, the aerial attack. I mean, he's won 10-plus games four out of five years. In the letdown year, they were 9-7. and seven. Like, you show me how many guys can do that with Jared Goff throughout NFL history. I just feel like 
This is a take that you guys will be able to check me on in about 30 to 35 years, so we'll see how it ages. But Sean McVay has the potential to be, I want to say the greatest coach of all time. That's just so tough because Belichick's resume is so insane. But after that, it's like, it's all going to be about longevity, obviously, because you have guys like Shula and whatnot who have just won so many games. But nobody has ever done this by 36 years old, literally. Nobody has ever won a Super Bowl by 36 years old, but it's not just the Super Bowl. It's two appearances in five years and consistent brilliance. And few football teams have just been better than the Rams over the last half decade. And yes, they've been super talented, but there's been a shift in identity and personnel over that time, and they just haven't wavered. I mean, dude, put the put the offensive caveat on it. I'm trying to think about best defensive and best offensive coach of all time. I think Bill Belichick is the greatest of all time, yeah. obviously, that's unparalleled consistency with any team that he was on. You put the offensive behind it, I don't know who's competing. I guess Andy Reid is probably the guy now, just because, again, the consistency um, regular season-wise. Knock on wood, we have yet to get any kind of collapse or any kind of... like That's going to weigh over Andy Reid's head forever. I don't care what he does... The rest of his way, I don't care how many more Super Bowls he wins with Pat Mahomes, and I guess that could swing the tide just because he does have Pat. McVay does not have that weighing over his head, that kind of collapse and those continuous playoff failures. So I think I'm not going to bet on it, but hell yeah, that, that'd be a, that's, a, that's a spicy take, Carson. I can 100% see that happening with how young he is, with how talented they are. Yeah, They're going to be one of the best teams in the NFC every single year. This guy's at the helm. I mean, we'll see. If that's true, that's insane. Like, you know, you can't totally transcend talent in the NFL, but they're in a very good position to continue to be great. One guy who I think is actually really interesting is Les Need, GM. Because, like, obviously, McVay is the one who stands out as the brilliant mind, but the Rams took a completely unique approach to team building. Like, you look at the pillars of their team, dude. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly acquired through aggressive transactions. Matt Stafford, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, OBJ, Robert Woods even. like They go out and obviously have traded so many first-round picks, but I think that you got to give a tremendous amount of credit to the guy who actually put that roster together. And I don't really know what the precedent is on executives getting in to the Hall of Fame, and my guess is... They would have to be really good for a good while longer. And obviously the first few years of his tenure weren't super impressive because you got the Jeff Fisher era and all that. But this run that they're on right now, I mean, it's inseparable from him just going out there and saying, hey, we're just going to trade all of these assets that are uncertainties for what we believe is certain star value right now. And it paid off. It got them a Super Bowl. Like, kind of the only thing that matters. Obviously, you don't want to tank the future of your franchise, but I don't think that they've done that either, and they got what every single team in the league is trying to get. Yeah, and I mean, the Rams are always going to be a hot spot for superstars in the sense that like guys want to come and play here, dude, and that's why I don't think you ever have to worry about... I, I do think there's value in re replenishing the troops. Um, you need picks. You need depth on your teams. Everybody wants to come out here and play. Like, free agency is never going to be an issue. And you talk about the uniqueness of it. I, I, we've never seen anything like this. Like, this is this feels like a very much NBA-style approach to mm -hmm. building out a team. You know what I mean? Like, the 
For example, you know, the Sixers going out and getting James Harden, obviously unprecedented superstar trade, but you have multiple first moves in that deal. And that's just so much more common. And I'm looking at uh, first round picks traded here. You don't have it often. Um, in the past five years, you have the Sam Bradford trade uh, from the Eagles to the Vikings. Brandon Cooks got moved twice for a couple of firsts. Khalil Mack gets moved for a first. Amari Cooper, uh, OBJ and Olivier Vernon, Frank Clark. Um, I guess that's a pretty big one too, Frank Clark. Not that it directly led to a Super Bowl, but I mean, he was a key member of that Super Bowl defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laramie Tunsil gets moved for a first. Minka Fitzpatrick gets moved. Jalen Ramsey, obviously the big one. Stafford, uh, Stefan Diggs, Jamal Adams, DeForest Buckner. It's just so, it's so rare. Yeah. And again, that's what I don't, that's what I think that we should mention is this is not replicable. You know, not every team is just going to be able to say, yeah, we want it, but they had such a solid foundation. I do think, though, Carson, I do think it's going to swing the tide, though, where teams are going to say, let's try it. Let's mm-hmm. give it a shot. You know, we have a solid enough foundation. You know, they've always had a great defense, and McVeigh was banking on the defense, hitting their stride at the right time, which they did. We had questions about this defense middle of the season. Are they going to be as dominant? They go out, they swing for the fences, they get Von Miller. That shores everything up. Mm-hmm. You have questions about golf preseason. Well, they swing for the fences, they get Stafford, shores up your complete offense. OBJ becomes available. They say, we can take it over the top. Robert Woods ends up getting injured. You end up swinging the tide in that regard. I do think that, I think I think teams may be a little more trigger happy to try it, but I don't think this is a replicable formula where we can just say, oh yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Pick a pick a team. The Lions. <laughs> yeah, Lions are just gonna be able to say we're gonna move our chips in. Um, I agree, but what I will say is obviously there's an emphasis on the aggressive gambles and trading all the picks, as there should be, because it is so distinct. And uh, you know there were a lot of jokes made about oh the Rams will never have a first round pick again, and it's like if you don't win the Super Bowl, then yeah, that's crushing. But some of the guys I name who you know obviously were not like draft and develop guys are guys who they acquired when their value was not crazy high relatively. OBJ obviously got waived from his football team this year. I believe that Leonard Floyd was cut before they got him. And obviously Von Miller was not like a super hot commodity at this point. Robert Woods had been a solid number two in Buffalo. He had like 600 yards the year before they got him and they turned him into one of the best receivers in football, even though, again, he uh, um, this year ended up not playing a role in the Super Bowl. They gave up a lot to get Vaughn, too. Mm-hmm. Like, So maybe he really does fall more into that aggressive trading picks category. And everybody knew that he was really good still. But to come out and produce like this in a Super Bowl run, it's just they went out and they got their guys, dude. And... Uh, Again, I just think that's a hell of a GM job by Les Snead. And I can't really contextualize what it means for a Hall of Fame resume or anything like that, but it is a hell of a job. And it's important to acknowledge that, I think. And it's all worth it. I don't care if the Rams, because, you know, I did say that I think they're a lock. It is it is important. They don't have a whole lot of first-round picks moving forward, and it could, could bite them in the ass, too. We'll yeah. see how it plays out. It doesn't matter. Because you come away with a ring... It's all negated. I would yeah. give up. You know, I give up my next four first round picks if it means. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's the ultimate redeemer. You know, it doesn't matter what the Rams look how they look from now on. They did it, and uh, and I mean, Kroenke said preseason. 
everybody knew it's going to be in LA. We want to go all in. We want to put our chips down, and they did it. I, I'm, I'm really happy for 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 a lot of these McVeigh, man, Stafford, uh, Aaron Donald too, dude. Watching him, it, it pulled at your heart a little bit, man. Like you can just yeah. see the passion in that post game interview, man. Like this is a guy who just you can f- <laughs> you can feel the love for football on uh on his face, man. Uh. Mid-season, dude, they added OBJ and Von Miller. I mean, that's insane. That swung the game. Those two guys were yes. pivotal in swinging the game. And I don't think we're... I don't know if we're ever going to see two players of that caliber get moved again mid-season. Those are two of the greatest mm-hmm. players we've ever seen get moved mid-season. And the Rams ended up nabbing them both. Something about yeah. LA, dude. Something about LA, man. It's that, that star power. All right. Should we talk about some of the Cincinnati Bengals? I mean, it does not feel to me like this is a team that is going to be back at this level next year. No, not at all. Um, and that's what I think stings the most about this for for this team. Um, I think it does bring hope that, you know, we can get a little more randomness. You know, it, it does. I really hope that this means that we have parity moving forward in the NFL a little more. Um, I feel like we do have parity in the NFL. I mean, it, but I mean, if the Bengals... If the Bengals can do it, anybody can? No, I'm not going to oh. say that, but I was just going to say that the Bengals were so close to dropping the game against the Chiefs. Like, to me, the Chiefs and the Bills are still 1-2 and two out in the AFC, and it just feels like this is kind of lightning in a bottle, and you had to, you had to capitalize on this one trip. No, I don't think the Bengals are going to be back here next year, and honestly, if you're... If you want my honest opinion, if you want a team that I think is primed for regression, it's probably Cincinnati. Like, yeah, they're in a really tough division. The Ravens were beat up all season long. I expect the Browns to be better. The Steelers are going to suck next year, but that's a different conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. It's just t- it's just tough to replicate something like this. And again, man, like I just think that they we saw a lot of their flaws in this postseason. Man, the offensive line play, the reliance you know the overly reliance on deep shots the actually I don't have any issues with their defense if they can bring back this defensive line I think the secondary is solid mm-hmm. I like their D line you get a couple more coverage linebackers in here I think that if you I think they should focus on the linebacking core and the O-line in the offseason but coming out of the AFC is just so damn tough and that's I know that's a really simple, basic take, but that's just the hard part of it, bruh. Mm-hmm. Beating Patrick Mahomes and beating Josh Allen is going to be a bitch in the playoffs every single year for the next decade. So to get here, it breaks your heart, man, because I don't know. They're, they're powerhouses. Those are two of the greatest football teams. You can't change my mind. I think those are two of the best football teams that we've ever seen. I mean that because they're anchored by two of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen. And it's just, just going to be tough. So... No, I don't expect. Joe Burrow's a great talent. I think Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback. He has his flaws. Um, and I really hope that his knee is okay. We still not really got an update on that. I mean, he played after it, mm-hmm. um, obviously, but you weren't going to get Burrow off the field in that situation anyway. Um, the, the Bengals are sadly a, a prime regression candidate for next season, though, and that's just, it's simple. I think I'm going to pick him to win like nine games, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough, obviously, because we have a full offseason ahead of us and a lot can change, but... The Bengals with a legitimately good offensive line, I think are a contender year to year, but they're not really very close to that right now. I mean, we saw 
two of the great mismatches between two units that I can remember in playoff football between them against the Titans and them against the Rams. And it's just insane that they got here, dude. I mean, you eke out, as we've talked about, three last-second losses in a row against a football team that wasn't very good, a football team that wasn't as good as its record and had three turnovers, and a football team that had an all-time collapse against you. And still, they had a chance here in this game against another football team that you know probably didn't play their best game. Like... This was just a crazy opportunity for them to actually be there and still have a chance at a game-tying or game-winning drive. Crazy. So it's a, a fantastic story. It's a great season for Burrow to do that in year two, for Jamar to have the season that he had and some team success accompany that. It's really, really impressive and fun. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I am super optimistic about the Bengals next year, but we'll see what they can do in free agency to bolster that offensive line. And I agree with you, dude. The defensive front came up big. I mean, yeah, they did. They had seven tackles for loss as far as stopping plays, stopping run plays in the backfield. Like they really shut down that element of the Rams offense and gave themselves a chance as they did in every game throughout these playoffs. And when you have Joe Burrow and the receiving weapons that they have and the talent that Joe Mixon is at running back on the other end, you know, they're going to be good. I mean, I think this is very clearly an above-average football team again next year, but they're not sniffing the top two in the AFC. Yeah, and I mean, it's just tough to ask your defense to play like this, you know, week to week. That that's the reason they got through here is because they were able to hold teams to twenty points. This was about as good of a game as the Bengals could have played. Yeah. Um, defensively, you know, is what I mean. Again, it came down to them sustaining drives, to them finishing drives, and they just didn't do it. I just think expecting. Defensive regression is where most teams lose it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Year to year. And I just think it's kind of a... Again, a lot of things can change. We have an entire offseason to go through. A lot of preview stuff to do. But I just think it is a tough ask to ask this defense to play this well. Again, when your offense is so so damn one-dimensional. Yeah. Credit to Joe Burrow and the boys, though, man. I mean, really crazy accomplishment for a second-year quarterback. And for him to get hurt in what was clearly a very painful injury and go back out there and still have a chance to win that game. It's super cool, and it's an awesome sports moment for Cincinnati. So good for the city of Cincinnati. Any final Super Bowl thoughts here, or do you want to quickly touch on some of the other NFL news that's been circulating? Oh, yes. I just saw Eric Weddle was a guy that we did not bring up about yeah. the Hall of Fame case. I don't know if Weddle is... Weddle was one of the best safeties, I mean, in the league for a long time. A really long career. I'm trying to think, dude. Six-time pro. I, I think Weddle probably gets in, right? I think he's very close. I think he's on the fence. I think he's borderline, dude. I mean, Weddle was... He picked the right time to come back, baby. I yeah. Mean, um, I think Weddle is a Hall of Famer. I, I, th I mean, this dude was... One-time league leader in interceptions, 29 on his career. I think for the longevity factor, and now that he has a Super Bowl, I think Weddle was probably a Hall of Famer. It's close. Again, it's a very exclusive club. I would probably bet on him to make it in more than I would bet on him to not. That's so cool, dude. Man, that's a lot of Hall of Famers on one team yeah, that you're predicting. Dude. What is that, seven players? Stafford, Cup, Whitworth, Vaughn, Donald, Ramsey, yes, Weddle, seven. And that's not even including OBJ. Yes. And then eight if you want to go head coach. Like, I, 
so many guys. I, just hearing that out loud, it doesn't sound right to me. You don't bet. I mean, we're not going to know for 30 years. Yeah. We can do a taco bet. All right, fine. That's, actually, that's actually kind of fun. Over, under seven? Can we go six and a half? Will you do six and a half? Sure. Bet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll know about this bet in three decades. So everybody <laughs> look forward to that. Okay, so we won't spend a ton of time on these because we have already done a lot of Super Bowl talk. But I think probably the biggest story in football has been everything going on with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals as of late. And it started with him removing all mentions of them on social media and unfollowing. And now there's just been a lot of talk about how he's like not a good leader and is kind of emotionally distant and all these different things coming out about what he's like in and around the locker room and all that. So he has come out and said, you know, it's nonsense, whatever. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to give his direct quote. Um, I play this game for the love of it, uh, for the love of it. My teammates, everyone who has helped me get to this position, that believed in me and to win championships. All of this nonsense nonsense is not what I'm about. Never has been. Never will be. Anyone who has ever stepped between those lines with me knows how hard I go. Love me or hate me, but I'm going to continue to grow and get better. Um, I do buy it, and that's what sucks. Is just I have heard Peyton T. Gallagher has this phrase that he loves to use. And uh, I have come to I have come to adopt it because I think it's I think it's a good quote. When there's smoke, there's fire, and we have heard a lot of this about Kyler Murray's personality. We have heard he's a bit of a dick. We we've heard that he can be a bit abrasive, and I don't want to put. I, I don't know the guy personally, and so I can't ever make these distinctions. But we have heard a lot of people make these judgments and claims about his character. To me, from the outside looking in, I do not think Kyler Murray is a great leader. I, I think Kyler is, I don't know if he's insecure. I don't know if, if what it, the underlying thing about him is, but it's just that... You think he has little guy syndrome? Maybe, maybe I didn't want to say it like that, but <laughs> I, I wonder if he's got a bit of the Napoleon complex. Yeah, I, I don't... Kyler, I, Kyler is one of the most uber-talented quarterbacks we have ever seen. I think when you were looking at pure talent... I think he's better than Russell Wilson. We have said this time and time again. He's mini Pat Mahomes. He has got a crazy cannon. He's fast as Lamar. It just, after you lose a game like that, and I don't want to act like I'm some pro athlete or anything like this, but you know what? On any sports team I've played on, I've been a damn good leader. And I've been, I've walked back to that locker room. If I, if I miss a shot, if I screw up, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to go Gabe Schwartz, and I'm going to go Nick Hollis, and I'm going to say, yo. Leader Logan Camden. I'm going to say, that's on me. And Kyler, that's the play. I think to a guy like like Derek Carr. Derek Carr is nowhere near as talented as Kyler Murray, but you know what? Bro, I swear to God, if you say Derek Carr is a top five quarterback. Derek Carr is a damn good leader. <laughs> and that matters when you were the QB of a franchise. Kyler, after that game, what I think, what I think upsets Kyler Murray, Kyler, I think what upsets you is that you fumbled that game away. And I don't mean that literally, but you sucked. It's the worst game I've ever seen you play. And after that game, you have got to go hand up Gabe Swartz, and you've got to walk in there and you've got to say, guys, that's on me. We are going to come back stronger. We are going to fight harder next season. This is not. This is the exact kind of turmoil you can't have when the Super Bowl is being played at your stadium next year. This should have been the fuel to the fire to make you go in that presser and say, Screw this. We are going to be better next year. We are going to rally. We are going to work our asses off. And we're going to fight. 
And I need to see that because there have been a lot of character issues. There's been a lot of smoke. Mm-hmm. And I tend to believe that there is a fire, and I tend to believe that Kyler does have some some of these character issues. And that's the thing. Kyler, you can remedy them. You can let all this wash away. You can get all this. Good quote. That's the start. Thank you for coming out and saying that. That is the start. The next part is going in, shutting up, and working your ass off, and and leading this team. It sucks, but you have got to be the leader. Like... I don't know, man. Kyler has got to be the... He has to lead this team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's plain and simple. You were the QB. You were the face of this franchise. You were the guy that that these fans and this organization put their faith into. You got to be a leader. You've got to be a leader, Kyler. And you cannot have all this drama. It's non... You're right. It's nonsense. I really hope it is. I really hope it is nonsense, Carson. But there's been a lot of smoke that just makes me skeptical to believe Kyler. Yeah, I tend to agree, and I, you know, I'm not going to try to do a deep psychoanalysis of the guy because Logan, like you, I actually don't know Kyler personally. We talk every once in a while. I wouldn't say I really know the guy though, and so you know, we're obviously limited by that. I do think though, like you said, I mean, when you have multiple people coming out and saying similar things, there's probably some legitimacy to that. And at the end of the day, like, there's certain things that you just shouldn't do. It seems to me that undeniable that there is a rift between the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, and we can't direct the exact attribution there, but, you know, you unfollow your team on social media and you remove references. It's like... It's so childish. Yeah, it is. And so in that respect, I do agree with you. I mean, that is not, at the very least, a good look, and that is not what you think of when you think of strong leadership. And I don't really know what his complaint is because it's like, what is his issue with the Cardinals organization? Like, is it Kingsbury's play calling? Is it the fact that they fell apart in the second half of the season, but you know, his regression was a significant Mm -hmm. part of that. And like you said, he played a very bad playoff game. It's like, listen, I think a lot of guys can be justified in being upset with their situations and their franchises. But it's like, if Deandre Hopkins doesn't get hurt, if Kyler plays his best football, you know, Cardinals, I could have been a quasi Super Bowl caliber team. I feel like I don't feel like they were super far away from that level mm-hmm. when we saw them. They started the year seven and zero, and I mean the D Hop injury changed everything for the team. So to look at that, if your reaction to the result is, "Oh, well, I'm just done. I hate everybody," that's not a good sign. So we'll see. I mean, the guy's young. He's been in the league for three years. And look, no matter what, I want Kyler Murray on my football team. I mean, every single time, I think he's, you know, one of the five guys at the position who I would want to start my franchise with, just given his age and the athletic ceiling that we've seen. He's a really special talent. But I don't know, maybe like things are beyond salvation here. It's really, really weird. I think it's also important to note that, I don't know, Kyler has never been a loser, bro. What I mean true. is, like, I, it may just be hard for him to deal with. It's very the, true. The pressure of losing. He's one of the most prolific high school quarterbacks yeah. of all time. I mean, he didn't. He didn't, he didn't lose, lose in high game. school. Exactly. He didn't lose a game in high school. Like Kyler is a guy who has never been. He's been the hero. He is, and I'm not saying that he's not. I think Kyler is the hero. I think Kyler is a guy you can win a Super Bowl with. He is that special of a talent. But I just, I, I do wonder if that factors in that the fact that he has never. 
he's never lost. And yeah. so, I don't know. I do wonder if the the him getting blamed or stuff like that does dawn on dawn on him because it's just something to deal with. He's just never dealt with it before. Yeah. No, I mean, that's honestly a really good point because, like you said, unparalleled success in high school football. And then his year as a full starter is at Oklahoma where they go 12-2 and two as they do every single year. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's interesting now that you hear about the frustration because obviously they were just outright bad in his rookie year and have gotten a lot better since then. But there is definitely, you know, disappointment when there's different expectations and you mm-hmm. think you're going to be this special team and then you end up having truly one of the ugliest finishes to a season of any playoff team in recent memory. I mean, they fell apart. They were embarrassed in their last seven football games or six football games. They're no 2020 Steelers, but yeah, they're up there. Dude, they're close, dude. They lost five of their last six games, including to the Detroit Lions, and got blown out in their playoff game. Like, it was really hideous. But again, you can't separate yourself from everybody else and say, oh, that's your guys' fault and it's not mine. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm not moving Kyler Murray. I'm paying the hell out of Kyler Murray. Like, dude, we can figure this stuff out. If you want to be here and play football with us, we would like you to be here and play football with us. A hundred percent. Kyler is a franchise quarterback through and through. He is... He's one of the most special talents to ever play the position. And you can fix character issues. You can fix this. You know what fixes it? You know what the ultimate? Winning. Winning fixes everything. So you know what, Kyler? Go three years in a row. Tampa Bay did it. L.A. just did it. Gear up. Get your Mm -hmm. boys healthy. Get the locker room back together and go win. Because it's time, man. You're hosting the Super Bowl next season. It's time to nut up and go win some football games. All right. The other story is that it seems that the Colts are going to move on from Carson Wentz and that he will probably either be traded or released. Had another year on that contract, but what do you make of this? Um, It's really interesting considering what you know the Colts gave up to acquire Carson Wentz, and now they're just dumping him off. I personally did not think this was that bad of a year for Carson Wentz. You know, I mean, he what an MVP level, and I guess it is disappointing considering that you had an MVP candidate in the backfield alongside him. You know, I mean, Jonathan Taylor has one of the most prolific rushing campaigns in recent memory. So, yeah, it was disappointing to not make the playoffs, to have such a tough, brutal schedule starting out. Um, but, I mean, Wentz was, Wentz was efficient. And, yeah. I mean, it's about all you can ask from a guy – there are a few things that scare me about buying in on Carson Wentz. One, the contract. Yes, it does scare me to pay that much money to a guy who has been kind of inconsistent. But also the fact that he won't have Frank Reich alongside him. You know, Frank has always been the guy he's been the guy most linked to his success. And then, depending on where he goes, you know, I just wonder about him behind a bad offensive line again. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to lie. I would love him in Pittsburgh. Carson, if you want to come to Pittsburgh, brother, please, we will gladly accept you. You are a massive upgrade from Dwayne Haskins and Mason Rudolph. But like I said, man, in different situations, it does scare me. The Colts have the second-best offensive line in football to the San Francisco 49ers, maybe the best offensive line in football. Like, we've seen Wentz behind a bad offensive line, and Wentz sucked. He's 16 TDs of 15 picks. Like, 
where do you where is Wentz among your hierarchy of QBs and or would you be interested in him uh, as the future uh, of your franchise at QB? I think he's a very average starting quarterback, but my question would just be what was your expectation when you got Carson Wentz if you're upset with this, bro? Like I was a huge Carson Wentz advocate. And then last year, I was like, yeah, I don't know if this guy's uh, really a starting caliber quarterback. I mean, he was in a miserable situation, but he got that crazy man look in his eye. And every time he's dropping back, yeah, he's under a lot of pressure, but you have no idea what he's going to do. He's just going to throw the ball up somewhere. He's going to try to make something insane happen. And he, like you said, threw the most picks in the league, took the most sacks in the league, completed 57% of his passes. So to go from that to being an efficient guy, who led what was clearly a playoff caliber team. I mean, the Colts are one of the best teams to miss the playoffs. Ever. Yeah, in our lifetimes, bro. They were a top 10 scoring offense and a top 10 scoring defense. They were rolling back half of the year. Rolling. Seemed like clearly a top four team in the AFC. And, uh, I mean, they missed the playoffs because of a freak loss to the Jags. But, like, yeah, Carson Wentz is not great. He, he's not a guy who is going to single-handedly make you a good football team, but he's a guy who, if you have the the Colts kind of talent around him, I think you can win a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. Like, he's fine. He's solid. Yeah, maybe he'll give you a couple of uh-oh plays, but he only threw seven picks this year. I mean, that's pretty darn good from Carson Wentz. So I'm surprised by this, but yeah, I think the team should be interested. And, you know, I don't think he's really going to look as good as he did this year in many spots just because this was a great football team around him. But who is the guy who they're getting who's going to be an upgrade? That's what I'm saying, dude. I, are you going to... I mean, a Jimmy G apparently is going to be available. I think that's, that's a not downgrade. An upgrade. Yeah. I, are you going to go out and get a rookie and invest your... I just... You can win with Wentz. And again... The Colts just had a brutal start to the season. They played so many good teams. That's mm-hmm. why I just don't get... And Wentz was productive in those games. A lot of them were one possession. Bottom line is, I do agree with you, Carson. I think this Colts team, I think this is the best team to miss the playoffs outright since the 2010 Chargers and the 08 uh, Pats. Uh, The 2010 Chargers were second in offense, 10th in defense, and the 08 Pats are the only 11-win team in NFL history to miss. Uh, That was Matt Castle-led, but, I mean, that was an elite defense, a great offense with Randy Moss, They were both top 10 in offense and defense, but I think the Colts are right up there with them and maybe, arguably, better than both of those teams. Again, you have Jonathan Taylor who nearly eclipses 2,000 yards. You have the best offensive line in football, one of the best defensive lines in football with Darius Leonard, uh, one of the best linebackers in the game. And again, yes, Wentz still had his fumbling issues. He had eight on the year. I think it may have been his career low. Yeah, it's low for Carson Wentz. I I don't get... Carson, I just truly do not understand... You said it perfect. Who the fuck else are you going to get that is going to be better than Carson Wentz? And again, this is Frank Reich's guy. Mm-hmm. This is his dude. I, yeah. I, Carson is a flawed quarterback. Yes. Like you say, man, he can get he can get a little wild, man. He can get a little erratic. He, he still has footwork issues. I think he has some mechanical issues. But I don't know who the hell else you were getting better on the market. I mean... Let's rattle off some names, bro. Jameis Winston? Not better. Jimmy Garoppolo? Not better. Carson Strong? Malik Willis? No. Kenny Pickett? Yeah. 
I, I'm with I you. Think any quarterback that you go with is a downgrade from Wentz. I, I think this is just a dramatic overreaction to the last two games. And again, this isn't like, oh my God, Carson Wentz is the savior. It's he's good enough, dude. And again, in 2020, we didn't mention that he led the league in picks while starting 12 games and had more fumbles than he did this year starting 12 games. So I just don't understand what the expectation was. I had kind of an epic voice crack on the again there. That was pretty intense. I don't know, dude. I mean, NFL owners are impatient, I guess is my takeaway. And if you leave a bad taste in the mouth, then that can really have a negative effect on you and can change decision-making. Because I just think... I mean, again, for a nine-game stretch of the year, the Colts looked like a top-five team in football, and they had a bad last two games. Yeah, I, and I, I'm looking, I'm looking at guys that uh, the Colts SB Nation um, website thinks that they can land. Unless you're getting Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, and there are some backhand dealings that they know about that we don't, this is an L. That would be sick, though. Oh, I think they might. AFC's tough. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Rodgers or Wilson with Allen and Mahomes. That'd be that's sick. But I mean they would be top three in the AFC immediately. I don't think they could be my favorite, but yeah. it might be my favorite, dude. I don't know. They'd be right up there. <sighs> Sam Erlinger. That's an L. Yeah, I would bring back Wentz. I know it's a lot of money. I know it's fifteen mil. Bring him back. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, though. We'll know by March 18th, I believe, is the date by which they're highly incentivized to make a decision. Last thing on Wentz. I mean, we're outside of, like, is there any other landing spots that you do like him in? Put him on a good football team. I think he'll do well. Put him on a bad football team. I think he'll do bad Carson Wentz things. Well said. I mean, that's kind of my takeaway. It's just like he's kind of going to go with the flow of your team. He's like one of those... Floaty guys, you you know, have outside of restaurants and advertising, you know, your car dealership and stuff like that. It's Carson Wentz. That was so Norm McDonald, that was awesome. Uh, uh, Carson Wentz, uh, what's this guy's deal? Here, here's a guy, Al Carson Wentz. He just loves football. All right, the Carson Breber impression hour is over. Any final thoughts, Logan, on this football season that is now over? Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl next season. Let's go. I love that prediction. Uh, And I agree with it completely. This was a wild season, dude. Uh, I did not expect to see the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. I did expect to see the LA Rams there before the season. Go ahead, check the tapes. Go ahead, check the tapes. Listen, it's really tough to flex on a take if you don't stick with it through the whole year. Through the mid-season point, I was still saying I thought the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl. Then I got a little bit scared by some of the bad stuff. Uh, But eh, I watched back a video that we did talking about the golf to Stafford transition before the year. And I feel like we really hit it on the head, dude. I mean, it was mostly me talking, I'll be honest, but I was like, golf was the thing holding them back. Stafford's very good. I think they're a Super Bowl caliber team. Boom. All true. Shout out Matt Stafford. Hey, I Shout picked the Rams. Rams to make the Super Bowl. You sure did. Who, who'd you have them going up against? I don't know. I thought you, what's, what's good. I thought you had them losing to maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers. Which I remember thinking that, that oh, doesn't make sense. No, see, Morty filled out my Morty filled out my playoff oh, bracket. Oh, and this was fault. when Morty was sentient. <laughs> yeah, this was back um, when Morty was alive before we stuffed him. Yeah, and then you know I, I bet all in on the Tennessee Titans. Don't do it. Woody All right, guys. Well, as always, 
fun, very fun football season. We will be back this week, Wednesday. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Haven't decided, so I can't maybe tell tri- you. Maybe trivia time? We could do trivia time inside of that or NBA. We'll see. If you are enjoying the content, plenty more places to find us. You can f- listen to the pod wherever you want. I mean, not literally wherever you want. You you know. and Technically, yeah. Well, If you want to go sit in a tree and listen to the pod, if you want to go. Right. No, but like you need to have the requisite technology as well. I'm just saying you, you couldn't go to yahoosports.com and listen to the podcast. But, you know, Spotify, Apple, all the normal places you would look for our podcast, we're there. Nothing has changed. You can check us out on YouTube where we do video essay, video breakdown content. You can follow us throughout social media. Top priority, I would say. Go ahead, check us out on TikTok. That's where we're making the most content right now. And it's been awesome. A lot of people are tuning in for us, mostly doing fun trivia stuff, but also some takes. So go ahead, tune in for all that. Uh, that is at NerdSesh, as is our Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch are both at Nerd underscore Sesh, where we will do our shows live Mondays and Wednesdays. So check all that out. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. <laughs>